0: All right, music and worship. We're going to have a look at the biblical materials first, briefly. In First Chronicles 6, 31 and 32, and 25, 6 and 7, we read that there was music that was always used before the tabernacle and before the temple. In Nehemiah twelve, twenty seven and thirty six. We're told that music was played at the time that the wall of Jerusalem was dedicated. In Psalm 81, verse 2, Asaph begins the music, we're told, and in 87, 7, the sons of Korah make music. The Old Testament is full of this. In Psalms 92 and 95, we read these words It is good to make music to the Lord's name, to extol Him. In Psalms 108 and 144, we're told David makes music with all his soul to God, to God. This is worship, folks. Psalms 147 and 149, Israel is called to make music to the Lord. You almost get the impression that God wants them to do this, wouldn't you? Then you come to 1 Chronicles 15, verse 19 and following, and we actually read what particular music was authorized to be played. And finally, are you ready for this? In 2 Chronicles 5, 12, we're told that 120 trumpeters. Are you with me? Try to conceive of that. 120 trumpeters played when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple. Now, how many of you have seen ever seen Verdi's Requiem? Yes. You know that in Verdi's Requiem, Verdi says, I'm going to blow you folks away. And in the Dies Irae, Dies Elah, the Day of Wrath, Day of Judgment, Verdi has eight extra Trumpeters, strategically placed, usually in the balcony, if this is done in an academy or some sort of a theater where there's a balcony. He puts four of them up there, four of them up there. Now you already have usually four trumpeters in the orchestra. So you get a total of twelve trumpets, just twelve. And when you come to that dies Ira, dies Elah, and those twelve trumpets let loose, You you think the day of judgment has come upon you. But, the Bible tells us that when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple, ten times that number of trumpets were praising God. Now, admittedly, they weren't Valve uh, Cunningham, whatever they are, trumpets. I don't know, who makes trumpets? What is the famous company that makes trumpets? I I don't know, I'm not up to that, but... Uh, they weren't our modern trumpets. They were some sort of ram's horns or whatever. But uh, I bet that was something to hear. Don't you think? The Lord was pleased. Then a couple more. Second Chronicles 13, 35, 15. The sons of Asaph are mentioned as mu- musicians at the Passover celebration. So once a year when Passover would take place, they had special musical selections. Then Psalm 68, verse 25. We're told that selected musicians accompanied the procession of the people up to the temple. We, we have music, don't we, in our cars on our way to church? Gene and I do. We have to drive over to Yardley and it takes us 35 minutes to get there. So we listen to appropriate music on our way to church. Well, we're not the first ones. The Israelites did it too. And finally, this one is really the chief one of all, I think. Second Chronicles 29, verses 25 and following, tells us that when the priests were slaying those bullocks and those lambs, yes, cutting their throats, killing those animals to then sacrifice them to the Lord as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross that was to come music was played I I don't know what to say about that but, but that the Bible says so and apparently God was pleased to have music accompany that credible picture of the offering of his own son on the cross now we're going to do it by singing Silent Night, Holy Night, that beloved carol, which may be sung in June as well as December, and uh, I don't even know whether you need it to look it up, but if you do, it's 161, but let me tell you the story of Silent Night first, if you don't know it. For 14 centuries, since the 6th century, no congregational singing had been heard during the Mass in churches. Vatican II relaxed this prohibition, allowing certain participation by people and encouraging psalm and hymn singing in a wider scope of services. Still, ecclesiastical prohibition could not entirely quench the production of and love for sacred singing. Many of these hymns were permeated with a spirit of mariolatry in the Catholic Church and other doctrinal aberrations and thus are of no value or usefulness to us. But there are a few gems that come to us from the Roman Catholic Church even in the last century, such as Fairest Lord Jesus and When Morning Gilds the Skies. Roman Catholics sing those hymns too. Now the most deeply loved Christmas carol in all Christendom, Silent Night. Try caroling in your local nursing home, Ask for a suggestion of a favorite carol to be sung and see what happens. What's that? They said jingle bells. Okay, so much for my guesswork. The the author of Silent Night text was Joseph Moore, an assistant priest in Oberndorf near Salzburg, Austria. The tune's composer, as everybody knows, was Franz Gruber, an organist and a choir master nearby. The 26-year-old Moore wrote the hymn during the early morning of December 25, 1818. While walking home after a visit on Christmas Eve with a parishioner's family, he traversed the crest of a height overlooking the village of Obendorf and paused in meditation. The silence of the night, the starry splendor of the wintry sky, and the murmur of the river below moved his spirit. Quickly he returned home, and at 4 a.m., he finished the lines of a Nacht. The next day, he gave Gruber a copy, and the organist produced the tune before that Christmas day was over. The hymn might not have persisted, Beyond its first use that day, it was sung to the accompaniment of a guitar, and that's why we're using guitars tonight, because the organ was unusable, except that the organ repairman heard it and spread it abroad. So, sing it, it's number 161 in our Blue Trinity hymnals. By the way, notice that here again we will find it necessary if we want to understand what we are singing or saying, to sing verbal rather than musical phrases. You know about that now, don't you? Don't pay any attention to where you think the music stops. Don't stop with the words until the end of the phrase or the verbal clause or the end of the sentence. You heard about the child, didn't you? who uh, came home from the Christmas program and his mom said, well, sweetheart, how was the Christmas program? And he said, it was wonderful. We We sang about the three people in the stable. And the mom said, do you mean Mary, Joseph, and the baby? No, replied the child. Round John Virgin, mother and child. So be careful with your round-john virgin. He's really not in the picture. 161. Silent night, holy night. All is calm. All is bright round yon virgin, mother and child. If you don't do it that way, you get a real incredibly strange thing like the little boy found. Also in verse 3, silent night... Now, I don't know whether you're going to agree with me on this, but I think that when it says, silent night, holy night, Son of God, loves pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face. The word beams is a verb, not a noun. How do I know that? Because it wouldn't make sense otherwise. Silent night, holy night, son of God, loves pure light. Gulp. (laughs) Well, we haven't said anything yet. And then you go on to say, radiant beams from thy holy face, uh, what do they do? Well, it doesn't tell you that either, what they do. That's because you've screwed up the whole sentence. Don't take any break between the word light and the word radiant And then the whole thing makes sense. You're saying, Love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face. Can you do it? It's going to be real hard (laughs) because you've sung it wrong so many times. But let's surprise ourselves and do it right. Let's hear our chord. Happen. Now forte, come on. Jesus. Keep it coming Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That was choice. Worshiping God through music. In 35 of 104 references to music in the Bible, God is identified as the divine audience of the worship music. In 56 other references, the psalmist tells the worshipers to sing or play instruments to God as their audience. Add that together and we have a total of 91 out of 107 references God is the audience of the worship music you get the picture don't you God's response to worship music is also found in the Bible turn to 2nd chronicles 20 20 through 22 and you'll read an amazing, amazing passage. King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah were involved in battle. And we read that before they go out to fight, they worship. And verse 20 comes in and says, Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him, For the splendor of His holiness, as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. No military weapons. They didn't even have to enter the battlefield. They were preparing for worship and they were preparing for battle by worshiping God in song and their song is even given and as they sung it, God nailed the enemy and there was no war, no battle. It was all over. That's how God responded to worship music. I don't know exactly how I would handle this text if I were preaching on it today. (laughs) But uh, it happened, folks. And it's marvelous. There are other passages which are listed in your material that you can look up that tell you how God responds to worship music. Music usually expresses joy. The purpose of singing hymns and psalms in church is not to make us feel good. The purpose of our psalms and hymns is to tell God that we are grateful for what he has done for us, and we are very thankful and happy. The 150 psalms of the Old Testament describe the important role of music in worship. They were themselves sung, at least some of them. You know that some of the psalms have musical inscriptions, Tell us what music, what the instruments are to be played with that psalm, what style of music it has, might have something to do with the tunes that were used. Even the sea did you ever see those sea laws and wonder what they mean—are probably musical notations, kind of like what we have in our take five, that tells the people something to do musically at that point. We know that selected musicians sang and played with the psalms, but we are not at all sure that the whole congregation joined in. And this is a problem, I think, that develops, and we'll come back to this later when we talk about exclusive psalmody. It's a problem that develops when I discuss this with our brethren who believe that the 150 Psalms of David alone needs to be, need to be sung by us in our worship services. We, we don't even have proof that the Old Testament church did that. What we know is that the sons of Korah and the sons of Asaph and perhaps other musicians sang these psalms, or at least some of them. But we do not know for sure, it's only a guess, that the congregation of the people of Israel as they would gather at the tabernacle or at the temple and around it that they actually themselves joined in we might say congregational psalm singing let's make a couple of applications towards our singing of psalms and hymns and worship songs of various sorts in public worship do you agree with me that we need to avoid mental laziness when it comes to singing in church don't you think it's so easy, isn't it, to sing the songs without thinking about them at all? Have you ever done that? <laughs> you know you have. I know I have done that. There are there are hymns that I know so well that I can sing all the verses and think about what the Phillies did last night. And I shouldn't do that. That's sinful. It's wrong. And you need to avoid that, too. You need to fight against that temptation to sing well-known hymns without thinking about the words. And it would also be well for us to avoid hymns that have weak, outdated, or confusing texts. I've listed some of them here, I think. And uh, I'm not saying that all of these are on my hit list, never to be sung. But I do think we need to, if we're going to use some of these hymns, sometimes we have to explain what the words mean. There's a, there's a hymn that talks about lays, L A Y S's, lays. And uh, I say to the people sometimes, I've been known to do this, you do know what a lay is, don't you? And uh, nobody knows. Of course, a lay is a, a song. Good for you. Wow! Did you hear this talk before? You just happen to know that. Well, that's good because there are, there are some hymns in our book that talk about lays. And it's well that we know what we're talking about when we're worshiping God, don't you think? And uh, when we warble forth or we, we, when we rend the rail of clay or we come to the house of wine or we vouchsafe, deck, be tied and assuage stuff, uh, we better know <laughs> what those words mean. Uh, but all those kinds of words are found uh, somewhere or other in our hymns. They are a bit old-fashioned, aren't they? And uh, it might be well for us to uh, think about possibly changing them. Singing praise to the Lord means singing with thanksgiving. We saw that in Exodus 15, the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. Enthusiastically, skillfully, we read about that in First Chronicles. We ought to sing skillfully. We shouldn't sing sloppily to the Lord. That's why take five is something valuable. We ought to try to work hard at learning how to read music notation so that when there are new hymns, we can at least make an effort to learn how to be able to sing them as they are written. We need to sing unitedly. In this age, it is the singing of a new song that we bring to the Lord brought on by the redemptive historical situation. Christ has come, and we're not going to sing just in the dispensation of promise about the coming of the Savior. We're going to sing about the Savior who has come So I do believe that we are to sing Old and New Testament songs. So that blows uh, my cover, and you know that on exclusive psalmody I'm not going to favor that position. But we'll talk about that a little later. I think there are some distractions sometimes that interfere with our bringing acceptable worship music to the Lord. Uh, I think it's all right to have choirs. Our directory for worship in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church says it's all right for us to have choirs. I think that's a good thing. And I served in a number of congregations where there was choir, were choirs. But I think we need to pay some attention to where we put the choir. I think that the very best position for the choir is not a choir loft that's uh, right up in the front of the church. I think the best position is in the back. I, I like uh, church buildings where there are balconies. And I think those, that's the best place to put your choir right up in the balcony because then you hear that music and it's coming from behind you and you can say, Yes, Lord, this is what we are singing uh, to you. So the choir is not entertaining you. You are singing worship to God. The choir is speaking that song for you. Remember, choir members, you're not performers. You're worshipers. And there should never, ever be any applause whenever the choir sings, of course. What about spontaneous choices of hymns? Many of our Orthodox Presbyterian churches have that on uh, usually evening services, but maybe Sunday mornings too. Uh, I run into that in, in my pastorates, and sometimes we get problems because we get Wonderful Grace of Jesus and Stand Up for Jesus and a couple of other hymns that get asked for lots. And uh, I'm not so sure that that's always edifying. Uh, How do you deal with that? Some congregations have even had to retire certain hymns for a while. But um, I'm not going to go so far as to say that I think we ought to cancel that practice of having spontaneous choices of hymns. But I think that the congregation ought to be encouraged to think about what they're doing. And you ought to have some reason why you pick a certain hymn. I mean, we pastors, when we... Choose and select the, the psalm and hymn numbers. Do so not willy nilly. We don't just go that one. Uh, we, we, uh, we think about the worship service and we seek to organize it in such a way that it, it has a flow and it makes sense. And that you thank God and praise God at the appropriate places and you make petitions to Him at other appropriate places. Um, There are also problems with who gets called on (laughs) Uh, when you have uh, spontaneous selections. And there are always people that raise their hand and maybe never get called on. It goes six, eight months, and I've raised my hand every Sunday night, and the pastor never calls on me. And I think people can get discouraged by that. And uh, then maybe the pastor will hear about that, and then he'll make up for that and call on that person three weeks in a row. Uh, And everybody gets a little embarrassed and ill at ease about that. So maybe I'm getting real close to saying that I wonder whether the practice is generally useful. Maybe another way to do it would be for the pastor to allow the congregation to email him during the week, before Thursday, with a selection, and possibly even a one-sentence explanation of why. And then the pastor can select from that and put them in the worship liturgy. One thing I think we ought to avoid is selecting hymns only because we like the tune. There's nothing wrong with a hymn tune. And there's nothing wrong with a hymn tune being a good tune for those words. But we still have to remember that we are not just entertaining. Certainly not God and certainly not each other. But the, uh, the, the hymn words ought to be the reason for the selection. I was sick to skip the second point. The, the third point, tune associations. Uh, now, we did the Lord's way <laughs> earlier this week, uh, uh, setting of Psalm 1 to um, Frank Sinatra's tune. Uh, Don't worry, you will never have that done in an Orthodox Presbyterian worship service. And the reason would be that it, it would not be right to do that. Our association with that tune is, is so negative that we, we, we couldn't, I think, properly worship the Lord if we were to use it. I, I showed it to you here in this setting because I wanted you to see how it was possible for us uh, to, to do that and to, as it were, plunder the Egyptians, but I would never have it in a worship service. Okay, we're ready for take five. Lesson five. Now, don't get all out of joint with this because it looks awfully busy and impossible to understand it's not what i'm doing here is i'm showing you a wonderful thing called the cycle of keys and this is something that is mathematical so all of you math geniuses here will appreciate this it shows the relationship between mathematics and music Here's middle C, right? No sharps or flats, are there? All white notes. You can't see the piano, but take my word for it. All white notes. The the diatonic scale for the key of C, all white notes. Now, you go up five steps. One, two, three, four, five. Why am I shaking? You got five steps from the C to the G that's going from the tonic to the dominant the tonic means this is the tone the tone of the key of C the dominant is called the dominant because that note belongs both to the key of C and to the key of G listen G belongs nicely with the key of C. It fits right in. It harmonizes well with it. But now it, of course, becomes the tonic of a new key, the key of G, which goes up another fifth to D. Now, when you go from the key of C to the key of G, you have to add one sharp, right? We learned that yesterday, didn't we? And you know why? Because you have to raise that F to make it work. Now, when you go up Five notes from G, but you say, Mr. Tyson, you didn't go up, you went down. The reason why I went down is because I didn't want to put it up here. (laughs) Up here is a D, isn't it? And down here is a D. So it's still a D, no matter what octave it's in. So we go up five, and we go up five to the D. Now we have to add two sharps. And you go up five from D to the A, and you have three sharps. You go up five from the A to the E and you have four sharps. You go up five from the E to the B and you have five sharps. Isn't that neat? Please say yes. Right. Explanation. No sharps or flats. You're in the key of C. For each sharp added, go up five notes to the new key. The new sharp is always on the fourth note Of the old key watch we're out we're in C now all white notes you ready now we're going to go up five now the fourth note there is the F listen that fourth note has to be raised when you're in the key of G And each time you go up a fifth to a new key, you have to add another sharp on the fourth note of the old key. Now, I kid you not, I learned this when I was ten years old from Mrs. Link. And when she explained this to me, a whole new vista opened for me. And I began to understand what was going on in the keyboard. So then when I got all those notes, it all began to make sense. And I started to play by as they say, ear. But nobody plays by ear. At least I have never met anybody who plays the piano by ear. Most people play them by fingers. But, but so called playing the piano by ear simply means that you understand what's going on on that keyboard. And it opens up for you the ability to be able to play chords. So then all you have to do is pick out the melody and you know what chord to play with it and pretty soon you're rolling. My son Matthew stinks at reading music notation. He can't read worth a lick. But he is the piano accompanist at a large PCA in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania and he plays wah! But he can't read music notation because he plays by ear. He just plays because he understands this. So just take my word for it. When you understand the cycle of keys and you know what's happening on the keyboard, you begin to have open to you a vista that is really wonderful. Now, number three has to do with going down. This is all going up. Going down from the key of C you're going to go down five notes. That's F. Now, when you're in the key of F, listen what happens. Something wrong there, isn't it? What do I have to do? I've got to flat the fourth note of the new key. Listen. Not So when you go down five notes you have to flat the fourth note of the new key what did you sharp up here when you went up the fourth note of the old key you have to sharp it when you go down you have to flat the fourth note of the new key isn't that neat say yes Oh, I already put it in here. By the way, remember that all of the above keys are major. That's called the cycle of keys. And I don't know whether the world recognizes what a tremendous discovery that was. But musically, it was like a Copernican revolution when people realized that that was happening. And we've got music all over the place as a result. Okay, let's do it. I forget, we go until, what time? 8.15, okay. Here we go. It is well with my soul, 5.80. But before we sing this, and we're going to have a a pianist for that, please. So could the pianist make her way up here? 5.80? Who's my pianist? She's coming, good. Do Do you know the story about this hymn, or do I need to tell you? How many of you know the story of, the, of it as well with my soul? How many of you don't know the story? Okay, for those of you that don't, we'll rehearse it uh, briefly. Tragedy preceded the writing of the words of this hymn and followed closely the composing of the music. The French liner, Via du Havre, sailed from New York in November 1873, included among the passengers were Mrs. H.G. Spafford of Chicago and her four children, Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie. Mr. Spafford was not able to make the voyage with his family, but planned to meet them in France sometime later. At 2 a.m. November 22nd, several days out, the ship was rammed by the English iron sailing vessel, the Loch Erne. In two hours, the Via du Havre, one of the largest ships afloat, settled to the bottom of the ocean with a loss of some 226 lives, including the four Spafford children. Nine days later, when the survivors landed at Cardiff, Wales, Mrs. Spafford cabled her husband these two words, Saved alone. Mr. Spafford had lost all his possessions in the great Chicago fire. Now he lost all his children. He booked passage on a ship to Europe to join his wife. On the way over, in December of that same year, the captain called him into his cabin and said, I believe we are now passing over the place where the Via du Havre went down. There in mid-Atlantic, in the midst of his heartbreak and pain, Spafford wrote the five stanzas, the first of which contained these lines. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, he has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul." A friend, Mr. Philip Bliss, song leader and composer, had ministered with Spafford with both Moody and Sankey campaigns, and Bliss agreed to set Spafford's poem to music. Bliss himself, together with his wife, were killed in a train accident some three years later in Ashtabula, Ohio. Their bodies were never recovered, having perished in a severe blaze. They have no earthly grave. The four Spafford children who drowned in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and Mr. and Mrs. Bliss, who perished in the train wreck in Ohio. But their hymn, which followed one tragedy and preceded another, lives on. Stand and sing it, will you, with me? Just the last couple measures. Let's have a break after the word sin. No piano, just the voices. Wo- the voices. My How much of it? of me is going up tempo because this is
1: great. Here we go. Oh, Lord.
0: Same tempo. Lud, Michel Schoenberg wrote Les Miserables. This musical emphasizes forgiveness and love, even if the gospel is not up front. Believers will detect fruits of the gospel, however, in the behavior of some of the principal singers in the play. Personal pleasure is subjugated to the needs of loved ones. And that's exactly what Philippians chapter 2 says our Savior did. Now, I'm not saying that the world meant that when they gave us the lame is. But I'm saying that we as believers can see something of what God does in the lives of people who have true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as the Scripture says, true faith always works by love. And Les Mis is loaded with loving works of people.
1: Do you hear
2: the people sing, singing the song of angry men? It is the music of a people who will not be slaves again. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of the drums, there is a life about to start when tomorrow comes.
1: You join in our crusade. Who will be strong and stand with me? Beyond the barricade is there a world you long to see? And join in the fight that will give you the right to be free. Do you hear the people sing, singing the song of angry men? It is the music of a people. water the metal the
2: really fall in love so fast. What's the matter with you, Cosette? Have you been too much on your own? So many things unclear, so many things unknown. Are so many questions and answers that somehow seem wrong. In my life, there are times when I catch in the silence the sigh of a faraway song, and it sings of a world that I long to see out of reach, just a whisper away, waiting for me. he's real, if he see what I saw, does he feel what I feel, in my life, I'm no longer alone, now the love in my life is so near, find me now, come.
1: burst like the music of angels, the light of the sun. And my life seems to stop as if something is over and something has scarcely begun. Eponine, you're the friend who has brought me here thanks to you. I am one with the gods and heaven is near. And I saw
0: cut that I think that 50 years from now that that uh, will be looked upon as a classical opera it's uh, it's been running for quite a few years already and uh, how many of you have seen it Wow so many good okay let's introduce a forbidden subject rock music whoa is it evil or is it okay? Expensive. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Is music with a strong beat degrading, as some have suggested? What are some ways in which Satan seeks to tempt us through music? Does rock music necessarily partake of pagan, non-Christian, base? Motivation. What in the world are we going to do with a teenager who cannot remove his or her ear from rock music? (laughs) Does current popular rock music reflect contemporary humanistic philosophy? Is there such a thing as Christian rock? And if so, may we use it in worship. Finally, these are all questions for us to think about as we're investigating rock music. Criticize this explanation. I don't listen to the words. I just like the rock music. (laughs) Is that okay? All right. We're going to hear Credence Clearwater Revival Band in a very early folk rock number, which we've all heard, Bad Moon Rising. Now, listen, one needs to listen carefully to the words of this piece of country rock dating from 1969. Don't go out tonight, it's bound to take your life. There's a bad moon on the rise wonder what that means. (laughs) Try to ascertain what he's talking about, whether or not the occult or some other form of darkness lies at the root of this song. If not, what is your opinion of the music itself? Why in the world is the music so bouncing and seemingly happy when the words are so threatening and ominous. In the world is Fogarty talking about?
1: <laughs> I see that hand. No, no. I have to
2: explain to my husband what they're not talking about. <laughs> now,
1: no. Al- no, no. <laughs> Alan
2: grew up in a very conservative family, and whenever he heard this song, he thought it was singing, There's a Bad Moon on the Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: that means he
0: should be liberal
1: <laughs> we, could, we could not sing this song in my okay no, next
0: <laughs> anybody have any light on bad moon rising here's one back in there somebody's got something for us
2: it seems to be talking about something like judgment day or something like that
0: think so now what what was going on in 1969
2: vietnam
0: do you think it might have something to do with vietnam what do you think bill yeah maybe vietnam (laughs) is it okay to listen to bad moon rising yeah Better than better than what?
1: Better than okay was the comment
0: Well, uh, anyway, why is the music so happy if the text is so unhappy?.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: He was not only stoned, he says, but he, he was on his way to Canada. <laughs> well, maybe so. This is an open mic. It, I'm not going to debate it with you. Yes. No. Um, both my wife and I actually had the same thought without actually communicating with
2: each other. Though
0: that does, Yeah, we, you know, between us. Um, you no, know, we both thought that this song came out, I believe, shortly after Kent State, the shootings at Kent State. Don't go out tonight. It's bound to take your life was a reference. There's a, a bad reference. moon on the rise. There's a bad moon on the rise. It looks it was, like we're in for nasty weather. Yeah. Um, and it was the time of protests. It was the time of a, a movement of people, uh, you know, on the left, which was why
2: I thought it was on the right, you know. But um, uh, I, think, I think the bounciness, though, is that this is a protest song. This was a song written also to
0: gain momentum for the protest movements of the 60s. Okay, this is good. We're understanding it. Yes, Doug wants to say something.
2: While the reasoning may be good, the time factor is a little bit off. Kent State was 1970, and this song came out in 1969.
0: Don't confuse us with the facts.
1: Never mind. By the
0: way, I was in New Zealand when this happened, so I didn't hear the song until we came
2: back in 71. I was going to speculate that he was making a mockery of superstition and of whoever was... Uh, I mean, there was sort of a Jesus movement thing in the 60s, and uh, there were, they were, he could have easily, just as easily been saying, you know, yeah, people are saying gloom and doom is coming, the Armageddon or whatever else, and, uh, he's, he's, and he's being jocular. Mocking them. Yeah, I think joshing so. Joshing them.
0: You see, we've got all these different possibilities. Just plain, just plain drunk, says some. Okay, over here.
1: Okay.
2: One other thought I was wondering while I'm heading over there. The eye is taken for an eye. I think he's talking about uh, civil disobedience or violence.
0: Say it again, brother.
2: It might not have a whole lot of meaning at all, even
1: to him. So... First of all, it's, it's what I, its Cajun music. It's not rock and roll. It's not even country. It's—it's it's, it's Louisiana. It's kind of bi, because that was her. Is that so? Th- I don't think that the the, the, beat the reason
0: why. Let me tell you why I call it rock and roll. Okay. Because it's binary. one, two, one, two, With a yeah, strong beat right, on, on the, the two beat, rather than right. the one.
1: One yeah. two. No, one
0: two. I think that's rock and roll. But go
1: ahead. I agree. I agree. But it's—it's it's more of a shuffle than a than
2: a down. It's. Uh, anyways,
1: we won't debate that. But if, I was just thinking, like some
2: writers. Like Lennon McCartney, sometimes they sit down and say, we've got to write 15 songs today, and we've got to come up with something. And, uh, you know, so there's different kinds of writers. Some of them are subjective, and they write about their own experience. Some of them just look
1: out here. These are like rock writers, and try to write, like, what's going on. They might not be a reflection that?
0: of what they believe or anything. Okay. All right, I think we'll just leave it at that, and we'll move on now to Lazarus. You won't have known anything about Lazarus because they made one record, and that was the last one. This is a Christian rock group of the 60s. I'm sort of uh, segueing. What's that? time? Don't we have time to listen to Lazarus? Uh, Yeah, we do. Uh, The Christian rock group wrote and performed songs of what I would call the soft rock genre. They produced, to my knowledge, only this one album and then departed the scene. At least I never heard from them thereafter my question it's the tape yes what biblical passage might have formed the basis for these lyrics and what do you think of the music does it support or contradict the message and why do you answer as you do Lazarus looking through Try, try flipping it over. Let this go because it's the one just before the song that I want, but I thought it, we would just go on. But what we'll do is we'll start uh, tomorrow with looking through, and uh, that will be the one I really wanted. So we'll stop for now, and um, don't forget uh, we've got click and clack after we dismiss tonight, and uh, cat talk, the worst uh, car, car of the millennium, so you're excused.